0: 25 this morning we're going to conclude our series on being the church we have this fundamental belief that what god's word teaches about us as the church is that the church is not defined as a place that you go to an event that you attend some some programs that you participate in or is just fundamentally the leadership of the church so that's another myth too you think oh the church it's just kind of these personalities these leaders these pastors But the Bible teaches us that the church is the people of God, saved by the power of God, and dwelt with the presence of God, and sent out with the purposes of God. That we gather together, and that is meaningful, but we also scatter together to go and be a blessing into the world. And so we're talking about what it means in this series for us to gather as the church, to grow as the church, to go as the church. And then this week, everybody's favorite topic, to give as the church. And so we want to just uh, unashamedly lean into that and come at that maybe from a different angle than you're used to this morning, but Jesus had a lot to say about calling us to be people who give, to give of our our time, to give of our giftings, our abilities, and to give of our financial resources. This has been so exaggerated and misused in the history of the church, and particularly in some circles in our country, that it just makes all of us nervous. And in some areas, we have kind of had a hyper-response to legalism that believes that if anybody, even Jesus, calls us to any type of specific obedience, we kind of feel like, hey man, you know, you're kind of trapping me in here, kind of straight me, when really it's merely just what Jesus says, this is the way to follow me. And so this morning, we're going to look at this, and I hope hear this is good news from God, that to be the church, we are called to give give of our lives to the king we're going to look at this from matthew 25 verses 14 through 30 so read with me for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property to one he gave five talents to another two to another one to each according to his ability then he went away I have made two talents more his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little I will set you over much enter into the joy of your master verse 24 he also who had received the one talent came forward saying master I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I have scattered no seed? Hmm. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth in a world of lies and in our heads that are often full of lies. We thank you that you've given us the promise that the truth comes to us, not to condemn us, but to set us free. We thank you for the truth that is your son, Jesus, who has lived the life that we could never live, died the death that we deserve to die, and has risen to give us the Spirit so that we now can live our lives as faithful servants of the King. And we ask now that your Spirit would take truth, the way of Jesus, the word of Jesus. Challenge us, convict us, and comfort us, and conform us into his image. So that we can live in the fullness of life that he came and died to give us. And We ask this in his name. Amen. Some of you may have heard of the Fire Festival. Is anybody in here familiar with this from a few uh, years ago, I guess? And I think there's a documentary that's out on it as well. It was this fraudulent music festival that was founded by this guy named Billy McFarlane and the rapper Ja Rule. Many of you may be too young to know who Ja Rule is, but a very uh, memorable person in my younger years, I guess you'd say. It was created for the promotion of this Fire app that would book music talent. So it was to take place on this Bahaman island of great exuma, and it was promoted, it was touted as this will be the party of the century or maybe the millennia. All the best people will be there, you'll come, and you'll just have this extreme luxury experience and event. That all the who's who and people who really count will be a part of. And because of the great promotion, and some people, although it wasn't known early on, who were famous, names like Kendall Jenner, Bella Hadid, if I'm pronouncing that right, Haley Baldwin, I don't know who these people are, but probably some of you do. They, they said they promoted this and put their names on it. The only problem is all of this was just founded upon lies. And people sunk thousands and thousands of dollars. They invested their, their image into it because it was a status symbol that you would be going and participating in this sort of who's who event. But disaster struck what some describe to be even a literal hell on earth when they arrived. Because instead of these luxury apartments with beach views, they arrived only to be stuck in FEMA tents. receiving pre-packaged sandwiches. And none of the artists that had agreed to be there showed up. Now, it's easy for us to sit back and judge such a happening. But as I thought about this and thought about my life, this is, this is the way many of us can live our lives. We, we live in a culture... That is a part of a narrative, a part of a story, that makes a great debacle like that possible. Because we are all in here, every one of us, whether you're a part of what you would consider common culture or counterculture, you are being pulled along to think, my life is about having this sort of epic experience. Being a part of this great event. And again, whether common culture or counterculture, belonging to this sort of circle of influential people who matter or who challenge the status quo. And if we look at our lives, we're often found investing our time, our gifts, our abilities, and our finances, and our resources, and the seasons of our lives into this narrative and this story that in the end is going to be one great lie. We're promised paradise, but in the end we will find nothing. Nothing. Now, I'm sure they loved the ride. You know, some people would say, you know, well, Fridays are always better than Saturdays, right? Looking forward to something is better than actually experiencing it. And sadly, many of us, even disciples of Jesus, have settled for that. Well, at least I was a part of all the excitement leading up to nothing. But Jesus has not come to give his life for us, to make us his servants, so that we just have to live in this sort of... uh, disillusioned reality that there's nothing to live for there's nothing to hope for there's no kingdom there's no coming and so the best we can do is just entertain ourselves in this great lure and this great lie that consumes our lives the world is scamming us on our giving So many people, and some of us, I'm sure all of us, I know me, in some pockets of our lives, we're getting taken for a ride. Everybody does this. As I thought about preaching this sermon on giving, I actually was thinking, like, how would it play if an actual meth addict was in here? And if if that's you, you just know I was thinking about you. Would it be irrelevant for a meth addict to come and hear a sermon on giving? Would they sit here and think, hey, man, I need healing. I don't need you to preach a sermon about giving. But the reality is a meth addict knows more about giving than most of us. Every one of us in here, from the meth addict to the mansion in town, are investing our lives and our resources in something that we think is going to give us the highest return on our investment. All of us, again, from the meth addict to the mansion, are a part of some narrative, of some story, that says this is what makes life matter, this is what gets me through my day. Therefore, this is what is worth me giving my life to. So it's hard for me to talk about giving. I, I fear talking about this subject out of all of them. Because it is a call for people to sacrifice, but it also op- opens up for great misunderstanding. There's a lot of talk in our culture about being on the wrong side of history when it comes to contemporary issues, but Jesus was really the one who said that first and said that best. That's what these parables are about. This is in the context of Matthew 24. Jesus is saying, the end is coming. This is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to look like. And as my people, I want you to be ready so you are on the right side of history. Because I am the king. I win. My kingdom is coming. He gives a parable before this and says, I want you to be vigilant and ready into my return. And then he gives this power that says, not only do I want you to be vigilant, I want you to be diligent. To not waste your life living in the lie of the world, but to give your life to the kingdom, to the king who has given his all to you. God wants us to give our lives to him, not First of all, because he needs it, but because we need it. And so we gather because we're family, we grow because we're disciples, we go because we're missionaries, but we give because we're servants of the king. So how do we give to God as he's given to us? The first thing we, I think our text points us to here is we must realize the great potential behind all of our giving. Notice verse 14 here. It says, it will be like. What is what is it? We gotta understand that. It's the context for the whole parable. It's the kingdom. It's the coming of the kingdom. It's the great accounting. The great consummation of time. We're told here, we have to understand as God's people, we have been invited into a big story. The big and true story of the world. The whole of the Bible is about the kingdom of God. The whole of history is about the kingdom of God. And so many of us are living our lives trapped in these little stories, these little narratives that the world gives us. When Jesus is saying we need to expand the horizon of how we see our way and our drama in this world, we're a part of that story of the kingdom. And as servants of the kingdom, we have been entrusted. This is what verse 14 goes on to say, and entrusted them to his property. And then verses 15 through 18, lay this out, that we've all been entrusted. Some, five talents. Some, two. Some, one. Some, one. But every servant of the king or everyone who claims to be this servant and to receive this calling has been given opportunities to live a life that is faithful to the king and in the story of his kingdom. We're going to circle back around at the end to to kind of undercut some misconceptions about this parable. But first thing we want to say is just to make sure is that a talent here is not Uh, like a talent show talent. And if you read this, it, it would make sense on the surface, but sometimes maybe we get stuck on the surface. A talent would have been a measurement of money. It would have been, some say, equivalent to like a year's pay. So five talents think five years pay. Two talents think two years pay. But one talent think one year's pay. So these are not equal, but they're all highly significant. This is important that the equality of what we may view our opportunity does not equal the significance of what we've been entrusted with. We live in a world that is fueled off of competition and comparison. If I can't have what they have, then it doesn't matter. If I can't do what they have, then I'm going to take my ball and go home. This parable is sort of kind of coming against that as Jesus does and saying, it may not all look equal, but it's all significant. And when we get trapped in this comparison and competition mindset, we miss the biggest point that the king has entrusted us with something of such value. The question before us is, is your life pulsing with this kingdom calling and potential in your life? Are you sitting around trapped and comparing your situation and your season with other people, or are you basking in the grace that God has given you? So many of us are wasting our lives wishing we were someone else, or in some other situation, or in some other season thinking, if only I was them, or if only I was there, then my life could really matter. But I guess now I'm just trapped. I'm just stuck, and God can't use me, can do nothing with my life, maybe later. We mentioned this in times past, but it bears repeating. If you, if you know about the call of Moses, when we think of the great leaders in the history of the kingdom of God, Moses has to come to mind. What many of us forget is Moses was an 80-year-old man. When God came to him with what we might consider the great assignment of his life. But what we may feel to realize is that moment was not when this assignment began. His whole life was that assignment. And when God came to Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to go and lead my people. If you think Moses said yes, then you need to go back this afternoon and read Exodus chapter 4. He didn't. He said no. We have these over-glamorized visions of these people in the Bible. They're equally needy of Jesus as we are. He said, no, you got the wrong person. Look at me, God. I live in a wilderness. I have a speech impediment. I can hardly talk, and you want me to be your spokesman? Look at my gifts and abilities. Look at my season of life. And oh, by the way, God, did you miss this minor point when you're calling me to do this? Those people have already rejected me. I tried that 40 years ago. I tried to be your protector. I tried to be le- your leader. And, and, you, and I'm reading into it a little bit here. But you can think Moses saying, thank you very much, God. You let me down last time. I murdered a guy. I got anger issues, God. I got ability issues I got story issues and I got anger issues and it is amazing how God replies to Moses basically with two words I am you're seeing your potential Moses based on who you are I'm calling you to see your potential and calling based on who I am. Too many of us, when we think about what God is doing in our lives right now, we're just stuck looking in the mirror. And that's that's as far as we see our potential. That's as far as we see our capacity. And this is why God gives us his word, and this is why God gives us each other is we need a a good holy hug for some of us and others of us need a good holy shake to say what you see in the mirror and what you read in your story is not the sum of your potential and your calling in the kingdom of God. Are you entrusting your life, your time, your gifts, your abilities, your resources, your finances based on what you see in the mirror, or read in your story, or look around in your life, or are you basing it on who God is, on what He's done, on who He says you are, and on what He's calling you to do. We can't even begin to talk about giving unless we begin to call one another to own the identity that God has given to us as His children. He is entrusted to you an identity that says you are his chosen and beloved possession. doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what those voices say in your head or those tapes playing over and over again. This is who God says of you. I created you in my image. I knew you in your mother's womb. My thoughts are precious towards you. If you are in Christ, I have given my Son to cover you with His blood. I have sent my Spirit to indwell you. You are my temple. I have entrusted you with my very Spirit, my very presence. I've gifted you. Every person in here in Christ has been gifted by God through creation and the image that he's given and through salvation and the spirit that indwells you and now inflames those natural gifts but also gives new ones so that you can participate in the work of the kingdom until the king returns. So what does your life show how you view your potential? Because your life is the revelation. What story are you living in? To be a servant of the king who gives a life to the kingdom means we have got to fight to own the identities that God gives us and the true story of the kingdom in which God places us. You may think, wow, my life just doesn't matter. It's just over here in this like, it's just a really sad story. It would just even be too sad to make a movie out of, right? It would just be too bad. And God's saying, no. That's a lie of the devil. it's a lie of the world. That's a lie of the flesh. My story is over that story. I'm I'm the God not only of Moses, I'm the God of Joseph, whose brothers sell him into slavery. But what they intended for evil, God meant for good. I'm the God of Job, who loses it all but through losing it all, finds that he has it all in God. The God of Jeremiah who weeps as he sees the dreams of a nation go down in flames. And yet God says, there are no wasted years because I will take what has been wasted and I will redeem it and use it for my glory, for your good. We must realize the great potential we've been given you matter to god to his story your time matters your gifts matter your resources matter they're not coincidental they're not accidental but also if we're going to be able to drill down into this because hopefully this would prompt some things in our hearts whether from the spirit or even from the enemy is that we have to realize the great giving of the gospel so we turn to our man here with the one talent so notice in verse 24 says he also who had received the one talent came forward saying master i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed This is is very important. Our giving is not only going to flow out of how we see who we are and what we've been called to do, but most ultimately it's about how we view the character of God himself. This servant distrusts the heart of the master. It's a distrust of the heart of the king. can't trust this guy what's he doing here what's his angle i mean yeah he gave me a year's salary worth of opportunity but he didn't give me as much as other people so verse 25 so he is afraid he goes and hides the talent in the ground and then he says here's what you have is yours this image of digging is we need, to, we need to imagine contrasted with the other two servants is that they're out working diligently. They're investing their lives, again, their, their time, their abilities, their resources into the king's story and the king's agenda. But, but one, one talent guy digs and buries it and so we're only left to imagine now he just kind of does his own thing. This is how he stewards what the king has given him is thank you, I'm going to bury that and leave that there, and I'll just give back to When you come back, I'll just give back to you what you gave me to start with, and I'll just go over here and live my life. I'll do what I want, spend my time how I want, spend my resources how I want, use my gifts how I want. But it's all fueled off of this supreme heart disconnect from actually knowing who the master is. So as you'll notice in verses 26 through 30 that the servant really has got it all wrong. Verse 26 we see uh, says, you you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Now you'll notice in your Bible, and not all translations, but most translations in that sentence with a question mark. Now we could do the uh, textual debates at another time. But, but the historical interpretation of this parable and why it receives that in many but not all translations is, is the master here is not affirming what he's saying like, yeah, you know I'm a jerk, so why'd you do this? No, he's actually challenging that. The question mark is to imply, you thought this, really? Really? I mean nothing in this parable shows this to be an unjust master. I mean he's entrusting people with great opportunities. He's leaving, he's saying, I want you to take care of this. I want you to I want I want to give you something to invest your life into that matters. And all this guy saw was a wicked master. verse 27 i believe this is confirmed Is he's like if you really thought that well you would have at least went and invested it i mean your logic doesn't even make sense if you're going to come back and you think i'm going to like you know just coming back to bring the hammer down on everybody well then what you did is the most illogical thing in the world because you could have just went to the bank and invested it there and at least there would have been some interest that we got off the top I mean, what, what's being exposed here is this guy is just looking for someone to blame other than to take responsibility for himself. He's buried it. He's went and did his own life, did his own thing, and said, hey, at least I got this. And now he has the audacity to, to look to the master and say, you know, if it wasn't for your character, I would have got more accomplished. If you weren't how you are, then I wouldn't be where I am. It's your fault. Any wasted time, it's your fault. You didn't give me what they gave me. You didn't give them what you gave me, that is. I know how you are. You just don't know what you're going to do, so why should I even try? What is revealed here is this servant does not love and trust the master like the other servants. This isn't about earning the kingdom. This isn't about some sort of works righteousness. That's why this parable ends how it does. The servant doesn't love and trust the master. So he's removed from the presence and care of the master. He's given what he wants. See, how we live our lives and how we give our lives of our time, of our abilities, of our resources, our finances, it's just first of all mainly about how we view God. That's a hard pill for me to swallow as I take an asset assessment of my own time, talents and resources. Talents used in a different way than this text as we'll see, but the giving of our lives reveals the state of our hearts. I remember counseling a lady one time. Who had been caught shoplifting and she came for help and what was so interesting and perplexing is that she lived in great financial security it was very brave of her to come forward and admit this because this was a situation where this particular person hadn't been caught but but she wanted help And as we dove deeper into her story, we talked about a childhood of where there would be seasons in her her home where there wouldn't be food to eat. Now, usually there was, and occasionally, you know, there wasn't. And so what she began to do is she began to hoard food in her house. You know, even even from the own supper table in her own house, she would take a little, kind of sneak it, and had her own stash. When she was at school, if there was snacks, you know she might, you know, just sneak up sneak one. And go home and put it in her, her little stash. And so this began to be this practice of where she 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 had parents who she thought loved her, but she didn't really trust were gonna always provide for her. And so she developed this, this way of survival, this way of coping, this way of gaining a sense of security. And even though she had grown up and had now had a job of her own where she could provide, but also had a husband who provided. And she found herself still falling back into this pattern that was this scarcity mentality. Like, I've got to be really careful because there's not going to be enough. Enough. Can't give. Can only give to the point that I believe I'm going to be taken care of. And she created this self management system that was very irrational, but was all rooted in that belief. And that same scarcity mentality can tempt all of us as the world, the flesh, and the devil continually tell us we cannot trust that God is going to come through. Don't give. Don't give too much of your time because you're just going to get taken advantage of. And God's going to be setting back at the end. This is really, I mean, let's be honest. This is how we think if we say it out loud. He's going to be setting back smiling just like, he. oh, watch me give them this test. that's where you're at you just got to own it you think of God as this wicked test-giving teacher up in the sky let me see how I can make their lives hard today give too much of my gifts or abilities I can't give my especially can't give my resources my, my money I can't give sacrificially Give me a break. I can't give proportionately. I mean, even if you get over the the enemy's lies of legalism and the call of the Bible for us to give sacrificially and proportionately to the kingdom of God, is is you're thinking, but I've got to make sure I've got myself fully taken care of first. Because I can't trust him. This is why the gospel is at the center of all of our giving. Does the gospel tell us the story of a master, of a father, who is this stingy, greedy, toying with people deity up in the sky? No. The gospel tells us that our master is our father. Not a father who's standing on the like I heard one time of a of a one of my dad's co-workers who's standing by the porch and tells his son to jump, and when the son jumps, he moves and lets him fall and says, Here's the lesson, boy, never trust anybody. If that's your fatherhood experience, I'm sorry. That's not the fatherhood of God experience. No, this is the picture he gives you to teach you about trust. As he says, look to the cross. You want to see if I'm really invested in you? I want, he's like, I want to see you. I want you to see that before you think about investing any of your time and your abilities and your resources in me. I want you to see that. I want you to see me sending my son, whom as we read in 2 Corinthians 9 8, he becomes poor so that we might become rich. And in so much deeper way than our finances. I want you to see my son who says, I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life, to give my life as a ransom for many. I want you to see my son who, though he was God, Philippians 2, did not consider equality with God a thing to be classed, but taking on the form of a servant, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, so that you could be mine. And so that you could follow the King that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So you're not throwing all of your time, your gifts, and your resources down the drain and into a fire. To see my Son whom I sent to not only die for you, but to defeat the enemy and to rise and to give gifts to men and to women. To make you the sons and daughters of God, spiritually gifted, to bless His body and bless this world. God didn't have to do any of that for us. He has rescued us from eternal judgment. And sadly, so often we're sitting around comparing who has it better and who has it worse. As Romans eight thirty two tells us. I want to read this. I want you to see me read it even. What then shall we say to these things? Verse 31 begins. If God is for us, who can be against us? Then verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When you're in the Joseph season, the Job season, the Jeremiah season, you've got to bring Jesus into all of those seasons. God's not trying to nickel and dime you. He's not toying with you. He's not testing you to tempt you. He's calling you into the way of the cross. He's wanting to free you from those things that in the end will only be wood, hay, and stubble thrown into the fire so that you can have a life that lasts in the kingdom. So the last thing we see in our text here today is we need to realize that giving is not about really any more than just faithfulness in the opportunity that is now and not the laziness of looking to the next. This is hard for us. Again, our whole culture lives off us getting to the next thing, right? That's how everything in our, that's how all advertising is done entertainment like that's if you don't realize that that's the matrix we're we're stuck in living for the next thing wow i got a good phone but there's a better one coming wow i got a good job but there's a promotion coming Wow, i'm enjoying school but there's this, i mean it's always always next 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 bigger better bolder and this parable and jesus is saying i want you to really understand what a talent is So that you don't get trapped in that your whole life. And at the end of your life, you're thinking, wow, I was never living in my life. Some of you kids are already being told in elementary school, get ready for middle school, middle school. Get ready for high school, high school. Get ready for college. I know why we say that, but I just want to speak to you now. Live where you're at. So what is a talent? I'm going to try to be quick. This is very important. A talent is not an ability or an aptitude in this parable. I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. It's not a talent like America's Got Talent. Notice verse 15 a talent is given in accordance with our ability. So the parable is not saying an ability is giving in according to ability. What is a talent then? In this parable, a talent talent is the opportunity that God puts in your lives to use your gifts, resources, and, and abilities and time. Let me say that again. A talent is the opportunity God puts in our lives as a responsibility to steward for the kingdom. This is a game changer. Because what is being said is God has given you all you need right now where you're at to steward your life for his glory and his kingdom. The problem is, are you going to reject that or are you going to embrace it? Are you going to doubt his character and bury it and waste this season? Or are you going to say, right now, God has me where he wants me. To use all that he has given me for his glory. In this text, talents are given sovereignly by God, but, and not everybody gets the same one, but all matter. Oh, as Americans, we're so, so, so warped and twisted by this sense of, it's not biblical, of fairness. one talent is grace upon grace one opportunity some of you are probably thinking this if you're like me god you're wasting my potential if i lived in a different home i could make a bigger difference if this hadn't happened in my life i could make a bigger difference if i had this money If I had these resources, if I had this, you think God's wasting your potential, but all we're doing is wasting his assignment. We're blaming him for him putting us right where he wants us right now. Some of you may be in evil, wicked spots, and God is not the author of evil. But just as in the story of Joseph, he is sovereign over it. And he is able to cause all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. We didn't touch on these verses, but we want to as we end. In verses 19 through 23, we have something that's really amazing. It's that although there may not be Equal opportunity, as we may say, and I may need to use a better word there, equal placement in our assignments. Notice this about the king's response. To the person with five talents, who goes out and uses it for five talents more, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now notice what he says to the one with uh, two talents. Guess what? Big reveal. He says the same thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little, I will entrust you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Guess what? God is not comparing you to other people, He's just calling you to be faithful. Maybe be faithful where nobody sees you, but he sees you. He doesn't judge things like the world does. He doesn't care what titles you have. He doesn't care who, whether you, all this stuff the world says matters. He says, here's what matters. You be faithful where you're at right now. Don't live in that next mentality right now. Faithful in little. I see it. It matters to me. The two matters the same as the five. And we have every reason to believe if this one would have went out and did one more, right, just been faithful, he would have been hearing the same thing. Some of you working in jobs, you're thinking, man, this job's just keeping me from living for the glory of God. Well, maybe, maybe it's not where God ultimately wants you, but it's where he has you right now. You've been faithful. Some of you may be in relationships. Some of you may be in really hard seasons of suffering. God is with you. He is, he is, not, he is not tempting you, but he has given you an opportunity to probably, to not probably, to most definitely Display his glory as you go through that in a way that this world needs. When we moved from where we lived originally to go and begin to be trained to plant this church, I had to leave being a, a senior pastor, and it just so happened that I had to take a job at a factory. Because if you have Bible degrees, sorry, Lee students, it's going to be hard to get a job. You're going to be overqualified for Target and underqualified for other things that pay actual money. So there's your daily encouragement. <laughs> I will pray that you get a job at a good church. But, or can raise your own support. So here I am. I Like my wife said, all I'm about to do is read a book. And I can't get a job anywhere. So I finally get this guy to let me have a job at a factory. And here I am. You know i've been a, the senior pastor these years all these ministry positions blah 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 almost have a doctorate blah 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 and i'm putting these parts up on these shelves i've got this 18 year old knucklehead training me i've got this senior adult lady following me around as i drive the forklift worried i'm going to knock everything over i'm like you're making me nervous <laughs> then I'm a part of this church. I've moved my family halfway across the United States to be trained to be a church planner. And the way that they did it is when you come in, you're just a member of the church. We want to see if you're faithful and little. And so there's all these meetings going on, and I'm not invited to anything. I'm looking around at the church, and I'm thinking, these people don't even say what they said they were going to do live like family, whatever, all of life mission, whatever, more time to rest and enjoy, <laughs> whatever. And this bitterness gets in my heart. Because I believe in that lie. I've got to have somebody give me a title. I've got to have somebody give me a position of influence. I remember the Holy Spirit doing something in me that, that I'll never forget. Is And I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but but something came through my bitterness was you don't need a title to make disciples you don't need another job to love me and love other people you don't need nobody to authorize that i've authorized that you don't need a you don't need to be a missional community leader or whatever to to give your life to seeing people who don't know Jesus come to know him and it was transformative because then guess what I started to do I started to actually see the people that were around me in that factory hey I can invite that guy to lunch and learn his story hey our MC was serving foster families and of course we were all gung-ho thinking you could do this a different and better way instead of whining over that and complaining about that why don't we just have the foster family over why don't we just love people instead of accusing our leaders of not being whatever we thought they should be what if we prayed for our leaders what if we tried to understand where they're coming from and assume the best of them and as we were faithful and little lo and behold god gives more opportunities this is what God is calling us to he wants each of us to, to ask ourselves are you being, are you being faithful in you use of your time right now or are you somebody who's always saying if only I had more time if only I had more time you don't understand my schedule what, what does it look like for you to give your time in the schedule you have for God's glory and don't compare yourself God's not comparing you What does it look like for you to lean into a fight club, a missional community, this Sunday gathering, and to give your time to serve in it? It it, it may be different for you, but we can work that out. What does it look like to go to your job? What does it look like for you to be faithful of your gifts and abilities? Have you taken any time to do an assessment of how you've been gifted by God? We'll help you do that if if you want help. And to say, how can I take my gifts and my abilities and use them to serve the body of Christ? We need each other. But if not, how, am I taking an assessment of how I can use those out in the world, in my neighborhood, in my everyday life? And also, and finally, our finances. Again, it makes people uncomfortable, but Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not asking you to give just necessarily because we need it. Jesus says you need it. Where that money goes, you go. And I guarantee you, if you give money into the life of your missional community and the life of this church as a whole, guess what's going to up your care about it? Let me close by reading this from 2 Corinthians and we'll come to the Lord's table. Apostle Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a sincere, a severe, that is, test of affliction. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, two reasons to say God Not me. They have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So accordingly we urge Titus that as we had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and on all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, of giving. I say this not as a command, but to prove by earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. May we give to the King who has so greatly given to us. Father, we thank you. As hard as it is for us to say sometimes, we thank you for where you've placed us now. And we ask that as we come to the table, we would be reminded that you are not a God who is toying with us, but has invested your whole self into us being your children and to being on mission with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.